Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. That's me. And Larry Correa. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Today's episode, Law Enforcement with Riff Barber. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Glad to have you all back with us today uh, in our apparently never-ending string of interviews that we've conducted at... Liberty Con because I mean we're, we don't know exactly in which order these are going to air throughout the season, but we were here. It's like awesome author mecca out here, and so we're just getting anybody and everybody uh, up here for recording. Dude, I'm so tired. We're Larry and I are both smoked right now. Uh, Larry, on this specific day is the day in which Larry ran Greedy Cop Show for charity. Raised an absolute butt ton of money. Yep, record money, um, record amount of money for Ronald McDonald House. Which is freaking so rad. Pretty awesome. So freaking rad. Uh, and then I'm just tired because I'm always tired. That's my secret. Okay, today we have a guy on the show who is a mutual friend of mine and Larry's. Um, a guy we both we both love to death. Um, and and a guy we've been wanting to have on the show for a long time. Not because he whines at us every other week. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like every three weeks that he winds at us. Which is actually not bad ratio for us. No, it's not too shabby. All right. Our guest today is Griff Barber, um, one, of our, one of our guys. I think, man, Griff, I think you and I actually met physically for the first time at that... Uh, Spike Con. It was Spike Con, right? 2019? Yep. And we ended up sitting across from each other, just pure happenstance. And I don't know, I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. But you and I just started chatting, and it was like immediately, we just kind of clicked, and we were like, oh, hey, you're actually pretty all right. <laughs> well, I've known, I've known Griff actually for a surprisingly long time, because we first met at the Reno World Con way back in ye olde time. No, you no, were there reals. too? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that was the one that we carpooled to. Uh-huh. And but the reason I wound up meeting Griff there was because you were one of the handful of sane people. No. Um, and this is before Des- you were a writer. Despite, despite the... Well, no, I was a writer, but I yeah. wasn't a published author. Yeah, so you weren't a published author yet. Uh, well, and- actually, I was a published author, not for fiction. Okay, so yeah, so you're a published author. Yeah. So, you, so you were new to the fiction world. Yep. And it was a very bunch of squirrely people who all hated my guts. Yeah. And I found a couple guys who were actually legit cool and normal. It's, we all kind of hated ourselves because of all the gambling machine noise in the background yeah. from Reno. Yeah, so we oh, actually wound no up we way. actually wound up talking quite a bit, quite a bit. That I year. had no idea you yeah. were you were at that one too. Yeah, yeah, it was you and uh, you had a couple friends that were like normal dudes, and yep. so I yep. it was it was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember we were vaguely uh, threatening to 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 one of the other people there. <laughs> uh, we, we all showed up onto this elevator. I'm not going to say his name. We showed up onto this elevator. And, you know, Larry's fairly tall. I'm super average, but this guy's really short. Well, and so we, we were all Dave tower. Butler, and Dave Butler, we all yeah. towered over him. And the immediate comment we made was, hey, want to come see our shovel and tarp collection? <laughs> Out in the desert. In the desert. Out in the desert, yeah. And he, his eyes get all big. Uh, anyway, okay, that's a different story for a different time. Point is, we're here with Griff Barber, a, a really good friend of ours, a guy we both love. Griff, we need you to introduce yourself. Tell us what you come from, background, your writing, what you do, and you know, plug yourself. So I'm Griffin Barber. I uh, uh, grew up uh, in Peoria, Illinois, uh, in the late '70s and early '80s, and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but uh, I grew up mostly there. But I also lived in Canada. I lived in Switzerland. Lived in Spain. 
I speak three languages. I uh, came back to the States and um, wasted a lot of my father's money on colleges that I didn't complete and went through and tried to figure out what I was going to do and decided to join the San Francisco Police Department. I okay. was there for 20 years from 2000 to 2020 and uh, uh, was medically retired because of a back injury uh, from that date, more or less. It's been uh, kind of an odyssey getting there. But uh, <laughs> I've been a lifelong science fiction fantasy fan. Uh, David Drake was my constant companion when I was in overseas because it was something I could read. It was, um, it was American, yet it was uh, also international and... and uh, um, He's an amazing writer. He's yeah, amazing. I, love, I love Dave Drake's stuff. Um, Redliners was, you know, something I read a little, quite a bit about and uh, read of and uh, really enjoyed. Um, but also there was an English language bookstore, e Elm Books, ELM, English Language Media, oh, that you okay. could get your books in Geneva. And, and uh, I'm not sure if it still exists. I doubt it given, you know, the nature of things. But uh, that was where I picked up on... Uh, Pornell, uh, Niven, all the all the goodies of the that era, uh, Mercedes Lackey and the Vaniel series, all that stuff. So um, graduated, came, came here, uh, joined, got into law enforcement, and kind of looked around and saw that there weren't a whole lot of people getting it right. And uh, I want to get it right. I want to help other authors get it right. Uh, and there are people that have all sorts of uh, use of force and concealed carry experience. I mean, Larry uh, teaches classes and has taught senator senators and et cetera. Yeah, but I, I'm coming at it from a from a cake eating civilian perspective. You right, know? and and uh, you know each of us comes from our our state perspective, that kind of thing. But I've I've tried to make a study of it uh, nationally, uh, at least a little bit. And just, you know, simply the one of my favorite scenes in any movie is in Snatch when the, the guy discharges the blank firearm inside the car and blows the windows out and everybody wants to murder him. Because everybody shoots from their cars in the Hollywood movies. And that is a really good way to go really deaf, really fast. <laughs> and, and to have exactly the response they did while sitting <clears throat> still, let alone driving in a high-speed pursuit or, you know, leaning out the window, that kind of stuff. And I've had personal experiences, not of shootings, but of like where the evidence ends up of, of a shooting. Because we had two guys going at each other. Anyway, lots of stuff like that. In the, in the intro of this, uh, I've also written, uh, co-authored uh, several historical fiction books with, uh, and, or alternate history books with Eric Flint, mm -hmm. uh, 1636 Mission of the Mughal, 1637 The Peacock Throne. I'm working on 1637 uh, The Pilgrim's Passage which I decided to play around a little bit with because it's um, the Hodge, not you know our traditional idea of the Pilgrim's Passage in the Western uh, sense. Uh, I also co-authored with Casey Azell, who I think is a, 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 I know she's a big fan of this show, and, I, and you guys are fans of her as well. Oh, yeah. Big uh, time. Who's Huge going fan. to, uh, she and I wrote Second Chance Angel, which was very well received by critical folks, but it happened to come out in September of 2020 <laughs> amid 500 other science fiction novels in that one week well and at a in a in an i mean not just that but in a really rough time for any book to come well, out well that's that's normally there are 500 in a month yeah 
and it was 501 week. Jeez. So it was it was pretty intense. Actually, um, that book has a gorgeous cover. That's a really good cover. Yeah, and oh that's in-house gosh. artist too. That wasn't like they hired a, a guy. Uh, this is a graphic well, uh, designer. A, a bunch design. a bunch of like listeners have already bought uh, like my noir anthologies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if you guys pick those up, if you already got those uh, Griffins in there, you're in Noir Fatale. Yep. And you were in the third one, I believe. Yep. Uh, but that's not out yet, so that's down these I'm, main I'm streets. In, I'm in all three of them. Oh, that's right. You're in the second yeah, one. You're in no in game, the first right? one, it's my own that's epic right. fantasy character, a, a necromancer uh, yep. who feeds on the living. It's a heist story. Yeah. It was, it, it was a goddess in red. That was a good story. Yeah. So which one did you do in the second one? In the second one, I did it with Casey. We wrote that's Second right. Chance Angel. It's the prequel for Muck. With, our, with the bouncer... Uh, and it's kind of like a gritty, gritty detective, cyberpunk kind of sci-fi. Yeah, okay, because I, I forgot that one because you had co-written that one with Casey, yes. who was the co-editor. So yeah, I forgot. Yep. Yeah, so you've been in all three. So yeah. you you actually. Uh, so, I'm glad to do more. <laughs> so me, so me, right? you, Casey, and actually the only other person that's been in all three is Laurel K. Hamilton. Yeah. So wow. Yeah. So cool. that's pretty cool. I know. That's I didn't cool. even get in all three. No, Steve is not. <laughs> yes, just so you know, the look I'm getting, it's not, not pleasant. <laughs> I'm only in one in three. I think three. the diamond comes from the hard glance. There we go. Yeah, yeah. no, so Gri- Gri- Griffin's, a, you're, yeah, you're a talented writer, man. Well, you, thank you. You've I got your skills. That. And I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch more of your stuff. And I've written a couple of stories in uh, zombie anthologies for, for uh, Black Tide Rising That's Universe. Right. I'm, I'm in two of those. Uh, and actually, it's kind of funny because Casey's like, you know, you really ought to put Griffin in. Uh, in the first one or in the second one um, and uh, so they did but they dropped her oh so I was like okay okay I get it now ouch dang Um, but you know it's it's the nature of anthologies you know for sure it is it's so hard so many so much room especially for the mid-list folks yeah the space the space is so limited and it's all about it's all about you know you'll fit in what what fits and sometimes it's a good story but it's just not the right story for the for the fit absolutely so uh yeah so we ended up doing that uh casey and i wrote the the for uh uh no game for nights we wrote the no uh, faint hearts uh, which is again the story about a uh, bouncer from Muck uh, from Second Chance Angel. Uh, I have uh, written a bunch of stuff, co-authored it with uh, Mike Moss, uh, uh, Chuck Gannon. In Chuck Gannon's universe, the Kane Riordan universe, it's the Lost Soldiers Annex, I like to call it, although I'm not sure if that's the official title or not, uh, documenting some guys that are put into cryosleep after escaping Mogadishu in 91 and uh, find themselves on an alien planet. And the character I made up is the only one of all of them who's happy about it he, he dodged a bullet by an investigation by uh, uh, the uh, defense department of his actions and character in Mogadishu selling arms to people he shouldn't have been selling arms to oh okay uh, so him getting frozen is convenient yes it's like oh I, I dodged this bullet I'm so happy about it and he's a uh, uh, an army investigator uh, so he's kind of in that role uh, so he's able to cover for himself. And he has a partner who is a, more or less a straight arrow, but that's my partner. I'm going to take care of him. Gotcha. Um, and that's kind of the, the lean. I lean heavily on my law enforcement experience for, for that and how to uh, kind of bring that up. Yes. Well, uh, I mean, you know, when, when we were, whenever we have anyone on the show, before the show, we always kind of chat around. Um, sometimes it's, it's really easy to to arrive at a subject hey let's talk about this um in this case you know we were, we were ta- i was you know larry and i were talking with griff and we're like hey man like what do you want to talk about what 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 is it that 
that you're super passionate about or that man just hyper bugs you or, you know, maybe it's a little bit of both. And uh, the one thing that, you know, that, that kind of easily came to mind for you was law enforcement. Right. I mean, and, and you've talked about it, you've hinted at it. It, it it's super prevalent in your writing already. So, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about law enforcement, what people get wrong, why they get it wrong, but also nuts and bolts of, man, this is how you can fix this and get this, this crap right. Because this is a common thing we actually see a lot in books, and this is a pet peeve of Steve's because Steve comes from a cop family. Yeah, and well, dad, so. in, in fact, this, yeah. this, this was, I think, the, one of the really early seed. One of the reasons you guys... Why, why Griff and I really get along. Uh, you know, something, something cop-oriented came up, and we were both like, Oh no 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 no! You don't you don't mess with that yeah, kind of. Because there's a lot of writers who get this stuff really yeah, wrong. Yeah. So and yeah. and it, indeed, it's not necessarily a, a fault of not trying, but perhaps they didn't ask the right questions to the right individuals. Most officers, especially prior to the recent unpleasant 2020 2021, uh, were more than happy to explain why it is that uh, what they're seeing on TV is actually lawful. It's lawful, but awful, but mm-hmm. it's lawful. And uh, why are everybody screaming about it? Well, it's because it's awful looking. And the application of violence should be, to most people, very frequently it's going to be offensive because it's violence. And while we have been uh, encouraged and we have been inculcated with, oh, wow, this is fun to, you know, shoot somebody in the game or whatever it might be, we, we are all inured to a certain level of violence to see the actual perpetration of violence on a person, especially when it is block, you know, cut into little chunks to perhaps serve a narrative or perhaps to uh, try to avoid offending certain sensibilities. Usually sur- served up uh, bereft of context. Correct. And, to- and context is difficult. It, it, it is it, because a context for me with 23 years in my law enforcement career is going to be different for you. Yep. Um, and it's going to be different for a guy that's got only five years in law enforcement. Right. Um, and it'll be different for somebody who has uh, uh, has experience in a combat zone and if, if it's a lethal uh, engagement. Whereas, you know, I've never been in the military and I don't have that, that experience of being in a combat zone, but uh, I have been in a lot of fights. <laughs> uh, and I have the scars to prove it uh, and that kind of thing. But, he just took off his shirt. It's crazy. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Nobody <laughs> wants that in here. Uh, but the the uh, the experience level and engagement uh, that you get out of folks, one of the things I was taught in the academy and that I learned early on was people have different thresholds for A, observing the threat, okay. and B, understanding what they observed. Mm-hmm. And these often lag behind each other and can lag significantly after the event or never happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I knew he was going for a gun. I don't know why I knew he was going to attack me. But it, with one of the blessings, and there's mixed blessings of this, threats and blessings, of the video age is we can actually watch. And we can watch their subconscious responses to what their subconscious is seeing. Okay. So the suspect, say, comes out of the car. <sighs> and, he's, and he's squaring up. His shoulders are across. He's you know, making a T of his person. But then one of his right, his right leg comes back. This is telling me, with my years of experience, he is aggressive and he's trained. 
because his right leg's gone back, his right foot is out, cocked out at a 45-degree angle. He is ready to move forward or move backwards. It's all fencing stuff, which uh, is can be portrayed in, uh, you know, your uh, Son of the Sword series. You know, you look at it and you see it. Now, I may not be able to process that until I get back to the station. Or if I'm very experienced, I may immediately go, yeah, threat, 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 and I'm, I'm out of the holster. And the guy who's standing next to me who has six months of experience, who just got out of the academy, is like, why are you bang, bang, bang? And I've already acted. I've already addressed the threat that I perceived and that they are barely registering before it even happens. Well, yeah, because they, they haven't even, they don't even know what they don't know yet when it comes to, to threat assessment uh, and what, I guess what it comes down to is... <laughs> there's only so much you can learn in a classroom or in an academy setting, right? My, my dad, my dad was over the academy in, for the Sacramento Sheriff's department. Right. And so he would always talk about, and, and I would go out there and, and I would, cause I was a stupid kid. I was like, oh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to show up all the, the cop. Cause I was running, I was doing all the running and stuff. So I would run and do things with them. And, and I spoke a tiny bit of Spanish. Um, not like you and I both do now. Uh, although I think your, your, your Spanish is much better than mine now. Thank you. Because <laughs> um, you, you've used it so much more than I have lately. But, um, not lately, uh, lately. Well, not lately, <laughs> lately, but I mean more right. recently no, for yeah. sure. Good Absolutely. grief. Uh, and, and, and there was a lot of times where they just didn't understand how to process even the most basic challenge to, or a, like a negative challenge to their command. Right. 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 And so I, I always found it very interesting that. And so to, to take that a step further, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, you passed the academy, nifty. Um, anyone can take a freaking test. Right. And they can get through it. So now the next key is, well, okay, well, when confronted with, with some sort of said perpetrator or, or a suspected perpetrator of, of any X number of crimes, their ability to... Uh, a lot of these guys, it's not their first time being a dirtbag. You know, well, they also they also have been they have had their experiences that trained them to behave in a certain way. Well, yeah, however, I mean, they went to the criminals academy however, and they graduated yeah. with flying colors. It's their job, and so it's however good you are <laughs> or, at your career, or or it's not, or they're their first time offender, but they've been beefing with their dad their whole life. Oh yeah. So here comes the authority figure who is ultimately dad, and they are going to respond in the same way that they would respond to their dad. And if their dad is a, a you know trained fighter. They may be, you know, their responses may be all out of turn. It's not necessarily that they're, but they are highly motivated. Yep. And often unaware of consequence. Correct. Uh, but on the flip side of that also is that the young officers um, beyond, and this is not a, a, a slag on anybody or anything like that, but uh, the younger generation of, of folks is not as used to putting up, uh, putting their hands on someone. Correct. And that is uh, a huge component of law enforcement. You have to be willing to, and not just able, but willing to engage in, in putting your hands on somebody. And not even just to, to, to throw down and you know, to get in the fight, but to search them, bodily search somebody. It's, it's, it's intimate. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're in there going, you know, squeezing all the parts. Yeah, you're getting to third base. Correct. And it's not for everybody. 
Right. Uh, and one of the difficulties that we've we've encountered, or I never trained because I have a hot temper and uh, I didn't want to unduly influence or get somebody fired <laughs> for not doing the smart thing when I have all this experience and stuff. But what I would do, and I always offered to do uh, with my lieutenants, was, hey, once they get on probation, bring them with me, put them with me. I'll, I'll talk to them because mm-hmm. it's one thing to be on training. It's another thing to be on probation. And the single biggest thing they need to be taught is no matter how much you love the job, no matter what love job it is, but certainly in law enforcement, no matter how much you love it, it will never love you back. It will never love you back. So when you get into the deep doo-doo and you're swimming for your life and not the actual incident, the, the fighting for your life, the having to shoot somebody, but the, the what comes after, the court case, mm-hmm. the paperwork, all that stuff, when you're sitting there for 72 hours, if you haven't maintained your relationships in the proper fashion of those who love you, you're going to be up Blank's Creek, right? right. Without a paddle. Um, and this is something that is not conveyed in almost any, except for the wire, in any media that I have read. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I don't read a lot of uh, police procedurals and stuff because I'm more of a science fiction fan. Sure. Also because, you know, their experience may be different from mine. Uh, maybe I'm trying to save myself for something I can do that my, I feel will be fresh and won't be, whatever it may be. <laughs> but the, the key is is that, you know, the, one of my favorite scenes in any film is outside of The Wire, because I will talk about The Wire. Like, That's a great show. So yeah. we're, we're both fans. <laughs> um, but uh, outside of The Wire is uh, the modern rendition of uh, Thief. Uh, which James Conn? No, the, the modern one. There's a more oh. recent one with, uh, what's his name, from the... the uh, shot his AD uh, on accident. Oh, uh, Bald- uh, Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, he did Alec one. Baldwin. Yeah, he did one where he's he's him. And uh, anyway, and it's not even him that says anything. It's uh, Rebecca De Mornay is a lieutenant of police, and there is a shooting a, a, between a plainclothes officer who's actually in a you know uh, a cocktail dress and has to draw down and shoot somebody and everything. And so does the lieutenant of police, or captain, I can't remember what her rank is. But, and she kind of turns to this uh, sergeant, who's her adjutant, and goes, now I know why, all this paperwork's why I know I don't want to shoot anybody again, or, or something along those lines. It's like, and it's, it addresses, in the writing, a whole process that would be boring to watch. But you see that it is onerous and difficult and challenging and time-consuming simply by this one phrase that also makes her more of a badass yeah. right you know it's like I, i'd shoot more people but it's just such so much people right <laughs> um and while that um real quick uh before we get uh two more in deep into the weeds we do need to take a quick break and uh, uh obviously <laughs> obviously the three of us we, we love talking about this kind of stuff it's it's super interesting to us it's we, we just love this this stuff so much so anyway point is we got to take a quick break uh and when we come back we'll get back into it with griff and uh nuts and bolts stuff observations and and little tips and tricks that that he can recommend that will help you make your writing better we'll be right back los angeles the 1970s Disco is king and the nightclubs are full of young, beautiful people with Saturday Night Fever. From the Sunset Strip to Hollywood Boulevard, a new era is dawning. 
but below the glitz and glamour, a terrifying darkness lurks. Chloe Mendoza knows darkness. She is an Agwali, a half-demon created by the gods of Central and South America, a child of the Court of Feathers, a group of demigods who ruled Mesoamerica with a bloody fist before the Spanish arrived. Now she is a member of Monster Hunter International's newest team. Business is booming in the City of Angels, but soon Chloe gets a message from the Court of Feathers warning her of a mysterious Dark Master who is building up its power in the region. Whatever it is, it brings death and carnage with it. Time to boogie. On sale now, set in Larry Korea's best-selling Monster Hunter International series comes the electronic advanced reader copy of Monster Hunter Memoirs Fever by Larry Korea and Jason Cordova, exclusively from Bane Books. Hardcover available October 2023 anywhere Bane Books are sold. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, at the risk of sounding insensitive, um, I don't really care about leading too much more, uh, you, know, you know, being all pithy and stuff for, for the sake of the listeners, because I kind of just want to talk more about this stuff, because I love it. So Griff, let's talk more about uh, a, a lot of the things that people get wrong, um, uh, and, and I'll let you lead about what you want to talk about, because... Uh, you have a lot more experiences. You have definitely way more experience than either Larry and I put together have. Oh, so I'm let's talk about... I'm an ignoramus. I, I know gritty cop shows. Yeah, it's totally the same thing, right, Griff? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, to, I don't know. I, I haven't been playing yet. Oh, man. <laughs> what, a thousand bucks a seat? Who oh, can? Yeah, Holy no, crap, was, I wouldn't do that. That was wonderful. <laughs> I, that, that, that much money could be raised for, for uh, seats in your game. That's really, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. No, but my law enforcement and background consists of getting hired and then laid off before the academy started. I don't yeah. know if I ever told you that. So I've, I've uh, never uh, been anything. <laughs> I was, yeah. yeah. All right, so... Okay, speaking of, okay, Gritty Cop Show. whole point of Gritty Cop Show is TV tropes, basically. Yeah, so I'm hitting that stuff that's like not real, but it's the, the things that people take for granted as cheesy real. Right. So, so for you, Griff, what are a lot of these things that, that people just butcher in their fiction? And you're like, oh, come on, guys. Like, this isn't even hard. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things, it, it actually is fun, kind of like A to Z. It, oh, it literally is like... The initial encounter, usually they never get on the radio to say that they're there. Uh-huh. So how does anybody know they're there? They never advise a sergeant, hey, I may need you here. <laughs> uh, and then when it goes south and they get into a fight or whatever, they, they're never desperate on the radio. I have literally yelled on the radio, I don't hear sirens. <laughs> Because I was hoping that my backup would be there very quickly when I was wrestling with a guy who was my size on PCP. Oh, jeez. And he was doing one, one-arm one cop push-ups <laughs> with 180 pounds of, of meat on his back going, Stop resisting. I don't hear sirens. But uh, the, the combat concludes, and the very first thing you have to do is render aid if you've done damage. Correct. So, you know, standing over the body with a smoking gun and going, oh, 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 there's another one done or whatever. That's not going to happen. Witty catchphrase. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Whatever it may be, that's not what happens um, unless you want to not have a job and be in prison yourself. Yeah, that's going to look good on the badge camp. Stick around. (laughs) Hang out while you're hanging from something. Yeah. Um, But the... uh, 
the the specifics of it is it's all well and good, right? It's if it's in service of the story, I totally understand. It's when they get into multiple engagements in one hour long thing, while where they've talked to their sergeant and then they're still using the same weapon that they engaged the first one with, because you have to actually that's evidence turn that evidence over, yeah. get a new gun if they don't think that you you know acted out of line right in the initial investigation. Uh, depending on your jurisdiction, there's a whole raft of investigative uh, bodies, including civilian uh, bodies, including people that are really out to get you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, that may be your frenemy on the Internal Affairs Board who really wants to, uh, you know, hang out, uh, Officer Barber or whoever it might be, out to dry. Um, so there's there's that. And then the real spot and the real space, which is difficult, most difficult to write, but also the most rewarding is the aftermath. The aftermath of extreme violence mm -hmm. leaves its mark. And it leaves its physical mark. It leaves requirements for physical therapy, et cetera. One person may be taking a dirt nap. The other person, and if it's an officer, they're going to have to live with what they had to do. And again, it used to be before 2020, 2021, I got asked a lot, ever get to shoot someone? Mm. And that offended me. It's morally offensive. Yeah, that's a poor for phrasing for a uh, for a very personal question. And well, but also, it is entirely. It is putting the like that's something that you want to do exactly. And that and it, it also puts into the question on the officer. That's something you join the department to do. Correct. And none of that is correct. Exactly. Well, I mean, there and, are, and I've known because my background, I've known a lot of people. I mean, I've never killed anybody, you know. Right. Knock on wood, but I've known a lot of people who have, just because of the background I come right. from. And one thing I discovered over the years is people are wildly different. Yes. In how they deal with that, and some people are just wired in such a way that it, it's just a thing. Right. And it may be a thing for five years, ten years, yeah. fifteen, and years, then it and hits then you. They might wake up one night and go, "Whoa!" Yeah. And then there's other dudes where it messes them up. Yes. And there's other dudes who. They're downright scary. Yep. You know what I mean? And so, and, and, and Steve knows one of the guys I'm, I'm thinking of, and this guy is kill more people than cancer. And he's just like, eh. Yeah. You know, and it's my, it's my job. And so it's, it's a very interesting psychology there where there's, but, 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 but the TV shows, it tends to be like a very flippant thing. Right, and it and it has to be because the show has to continue, right? Right. So because it's not a it's not a psychodrama. Right. Right, and and that's the same for your fiction. So if you're trying to write, uh, you know, the the cool action adventure, that's great. And it, all you have to do to satisfy jerks like me is drop a you know a line in there. And one of the things I did in Second Chance Angel with Casey Azell was uh, I dropped a line in there about I'm not gonna. Th he he drops a body, right? He's he's doing a raid. He's trying to save his his love, and he goes in. He pops a guy. And he goes, I'm not going to think about that as he steps over him. Because he, he's not going to think can't. about it. Because you can't think about it in that moment. Otherwise, that's how you get dead. Yeah. He doesn't so, have time for any of that processing yeah, right now. Anything, and it's not to say he's not feeling it. It's yeah. not to say that he's not going to pay a price later. Yeah. So that buys me like all the credit. Like I'm like, I'm in, man. Because you are, you are acknowledging that this is going to have a cost. Yep. Um, and whether that cost is simply that you, you, you're approached by your friends or your peers, like, why doesn't this bother you? Because that is its own cost. If, you know, the, if the guy, every time the guy looks at me, I go, this guy's killed a lot of people. 
because you actually get to a point where you you're like, oh, I get that in your gaze. Yeah, um, and that's a cost. That's a human cost. And one of the things that people aren't aware of with the use of force is, and that is actually accurate about these TV shows is, the more times you do it, the more times you will do it, mm-hmm. because you recognize the predicate events. You recognize those things that have happened that will, oh, that's a danger cue, danger cue, danger, oh, back. Yeah. And immediately you recognize the fact that, again, through your experience, you are, you've done it before and you recognize all the events that are leading up to that same situation. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I mean, Steve actually this year got to go take a little bit of training on that. And it was just a very basic training thing. So it's the kind of stuff you're seeing every day, but it's the, mm-hmm. the picking, the pulling, the yeah. grooming, yep. The, yep. all these little tells. The, 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 the method in which they're approaching you from various angles, yep. cutting off cutting off various other angles. Because humans, right? we're just kind of like violent monkeys a lot of time, and we'll start to exhibit these the, very basic behaviors. the more behaviors. jacked up with adrenaline we are, the more we are monkeys. Yeah. That lizard brain takes over, and that's why we train so hard to have these responses, so that we overcome at least the negative aspects of those lizard responses. Right, and so you're seeing this every day, and so you're getting conditioned, and it's like, okay, this dude, when I see a guy acting this way, he's loading up to to yeah, do a and, bad thing. And the FBI stats bear out that an officer who gets involved in one shooting is like seventy five percent more likely to get involved in another. And it's not because uh, they want to. It's because they went there once. Yeah. They recognized the event. They survived the event. And therefore, they are more likely to recognize the event and survive the next event. Yeah. He's and not bloodthirsty. He's just alert. No, they, that's a fantastic way to put that. They're, they're, they're conditioned by their survival to survive again, which is a beautiful animal trait for our continued survival, right? Correct. So, um, and, but that leads to, oh, well, this officer, when the media gets a hold of this, this officer was involved in four shootings in 10 years. He's, 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 he's out of control. He's out of control. That's one of the things that actually touch, Michael Conley touches on in Bosch, because Bosch is that guy. Yeah, he's that guy. And yeah. we had a couple of those guys in the San Francisco Police Department as well, um, that, you know, it, and <laughs> uh, Captain Cluster is what we'd call uh, them on occasion because it wasn't just shootings, but, you know, violent events would seem to kick off around them, not because they were, but because they recognized it. So acknowledging that in your writing and, you know, acknowledging that there's going to be an enormous amount of paperwork, acknowledging that in the, at least in the United States and in most countries, uh, there is an adversarial relationship with, between the, uh, anybody who's involved in any shooting and uh, the investigators, because they are required to make sure that that was a lawful engagement. Yeah. Well, and, and, and also acknowledging the fact that quite frequently, especially after, uh, after a lethal engagement, m- most cops are, they're like, they're voluntold to, you know, go, go chill at home for a second. Oh, no, it, yeah, it, it's actually, they've tr- I think they believe, I believe they've tried to make it federal. Exactly. Um, and that is a good thing. Um, oh, for it, sure. You know, for, but only if, at least for the officer, it's only a really good thing if you're actually given services in that time. You know, they, they come and they talk to you about what happened. Yep. And, yeah. and they also talk to your fellow officers about what happened. There's a, there's a political angle to this, too, because Steve and I have a good friend. And you, I think you might know him as well. I won't name him on it. But, but he wound up in an issue with his department where it was an excessive force Right. And it was total crap because it was politically motivated. And everybody who was an expert on the subject, I mean, he 
when he came to trial, he had like a thousand years of experience of his expert witnesses saying, now this is bullcrap. Right. He could have shot the guy and didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, some of that can be lawful but awful. Again, yep. it's mm-hmm. lawful, but boy, it looks really bad. And again, your the the standard for use of force is uh, would a similar would an officer of similar training and experience have acted the same way given the similar set of circumstances? Yeah. Over on the civilian side, we talk about the reasonable man right. ability, yes. opportunity, immediate threat. You know, it's right. just, yeah. And, and so, with regard to to that and that officer, that uh, deputy. Yeah, we uh, yeah we we know the same uh, guy. Yeah, the, the the two of us would uh, we would probably respond differently given given the, that our experience base is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, one of the things that factor into this, and this is one of the things that I don't see enough of in uh, author stuff, is is that uh, in books is that the small officer can get violent a lot faster than me. I'm I'm six foot. I'm two fifty. I can't get into go violent as quickly as someone say as Casey Azell, yeah. who's I believe five six and and uh, uh, you know we're going to say barely a hundred pounds. Yeah, so right. There's she, she can't get violent oh. anyway. Any she can get violent so much faster than me because she's having to deal with a much larger suspect. So if she gets punched in the face by that person, the the jury will eventually go. Well, yeah, that's a lethal assault. That's understandable. The, the, the immediacy of the threat is much is much more. Uh, grave. It's so much more grave for her. I have a friend or who any person that's of that size. Right. And I have a friend who Steve has met as well, and he's bigger than me. Right. Uh, he's real close to me. He's a he's a police detective in Texas now. Right. And 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 so Steve knows something. Wonderful, wonderful, gentle guy, nice guy. Super but one awesome. time we were at a, a training thing, and there's a bunch of cops, and they're telling stories about fights, fights they'd been in, and they they come to to Matt, and Matt is six foot six, probably three hundred pounds. Big hands of stone looking say, dude. His hands, right. his hands are the size of So he's, he's, he's my basically face. my size. Yeah. And to get to Matt and this other cop talk about all the things, and he goes, How, like, how many have you been in? Because this little, the little guy, the, the 150 pound guy, had been in like dozens. You get to Matt, and Matt's like, None. Yeah. And he's like, Serious? But you're from such and such, which is a notoriously dangerous place. Right. And he's like, He's like, They see me unfold out of the car. Right. And they, they look at me and they say, no, yes, not not food. Well, see, he didn't have enough PCP users in yeah. his area. So he had a lot of crack. He yeah. didn't have a lot. So, of- well, and and you know, if you get enough guys with the short man complex, you will get more fights. Yeah. But so, as a pointer to authors, the shorter you make your protagonist officer, the more likely you can get violent. Oh, yeah. So if they're a little munchkin, they can open the can a lot faster than than the big giant that we, everybody wants to. Write. We we talk about the TV shows that get stuff wrong, and their Blue Bloods is a cheesy show, oh but there's a line in it, right? Because it's Tom Selleck, right? Talk, and he and Tom Selleck's a big dude, especially mm-hmm. for his day. Him and his mustache. And he was past. there with his kid, played by you know Donnie Wahlberg, who's like a little dude. And Donnie Wahlberg's talking about having to use a sap on a guy, and, and Tom Selleck's like, I never have to do anything. Like, and he's like, Dad, look at you, you're six foot four with hands of stone. Who's gonna mess with you? Right. Of course you didn't have to use, you know. Right. And just, so, it, yeah, and and also like it depends on the population you're dealing with too. So like you are a large mammal. I would treat you differently than I treat Diamond. So, but I would treat you much differently. Uh, and uh, also, knowing what I know about you, uh, I would also treat you very differently, given your gun expertise. Right? I would be like, okay, I don't. I'm not really worried about hand to hand with you. Yeah, I'm yeah. Watch, watch, watch the hands and belt line. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> is Larry going fig leaf on you? Because yeah. if he is, that's a bad deal. Exactly. Yeah, I win. I win races, man. That's what yeah, I do. Exactly. So, uh, and congratulations on your light pin. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Was pretty yeah, happy. Um, Thanks, man. So the. Uh, yeah, I. Um, when it comes to writing this stuff, acknowledge that there is an aftermath, 
acknowledge that uh, you know the size makes a difference. That's Physi what she said, right? Yeah. Physics makes sense. Physics makes sense, and it's really important to get that aspect right. You have to, uh, to in order to not throw jerks like me out of the story, you have to at least acknowledge it. And it doesn't have to be like a long dissertation about, you know, this is that, da 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 But if you throw in a line or two that say, indicate, you know, she looked up, up, up at the at the suspect, and he was stepping forward, and, he, and you know she wasn't even sure why she did it, but the gun was in her hand all of a sudden, and yeah. it was on. It was on oh, like man. Donkey Kong. Yeah, dang, when, dang, when dang. the ground shook when he put his ponderous boot right, down. Exactly. <laughs> I have a question for you, Griff. Um, when, when it comes to in the in the writing stuff, and and this is totally selfish because this is what the next book that I'm writing. So uh, when it comes to uh, to illustrating how an officer can can react to situations where there is a high quality or a high quantity of unknown okay you're uh you know i, I think it's fairly common knowledge that <clears throat> some of the most dangerous some of the most dangerous things that a cop can ever uh, respond to domestics traffics right traffic right. stops okay yep. so uh For there's so much reasons. exactly but there's so much unknown like, like, okay, so so the, the genesis of my question was, oh, yeah, you know, if I'm approaching Larry, it's very different than you're approaching me, especially if I know what I know about Larry. Right. But what if you don't know? How are you illustrating points like that within your fiction? Well, one of the things that was uh, frequently, uh, is frequently said is that uh, <laughs> if you were to take San Francisco police officers and put them uh, policing L.A., there would be riots. And if you were to take LAPD up, to San Francisco and have them police San Francisco, there would be riots. LA has a strategy and a training regimen where everybody gets treated exactly the same, and it's not friendly. Mm -hmm. It's it's really you know, and if you uh, shoot your mouth off or at the least bit squirrely, there will be repercussions. San Francisco is like say whatever you want to say, but don't make those moves. Mm -hmm. So there is a. A structure to the way the, the your particular department, your fictional department, uh -huh. is trained, and how will they have been trained? And so, going to your local officers, talking to somebody, I'm always available. You can, you know, hit me yep. up. Yeah, he's uh, going to want to use you as a consultant on his next one. Right? Like, oh, yeah. Like seriously. Um, and the uh, but talk about it. Try and find out the um, the specifics of how it might be handled, and um, always just give at least give that. It's just like research on anything, yep. right? You may know 600 things. Drop the ones that are pertinent into that thing. And what you know in a, like, so uh, domestic violence situation is almost always a known quantity. Repeat offenders. Every, yeah, every family that gets into that kind of thing, it's going to, but the unknown quantity in that is this the last time. Yep, absolutely. And uh, you never try and arrest anybody in the kitchen. Because <laughs> that's armor, it's weapon central. All the you know, stabby stuff is. Yeah, the stabby <laughs> stuff is there. Uh, but also, likewise, you know, there's other places that have all sorts of spiky, crazy stuff in them as well. Um, but traffic stops, um, they are actually relatively controlled if done properly. We have lots and lots of experience in doing them as safely as possible. Also, you are free to move, free to move to cover, free to return fire, etc. They are hopefully still in that car. It's as soon as you start getting people out of the car, and some jurisdictions do this all the time on almost every stop, they pull people out of the car. So, again, address it, and you really shouldn't have too much trouble if you 
are aware of wherever your setting is, mm -hmm. or if you're making it up from whole cloth, what are their policies and procedures? What are their directives? Uh, I was talking to a Coastie last night that we all know. And that Coastie was like, you know, hey, uh, it, after 9-11, our priorities switched from, uh, you know, Homeland Security was number four. Number one was rescue and uh, recovery operations. And we went, you know, four to one. That's a humongous change. So if you know, the, like, the directives of your department, uh, your fictional department or your, you know, uh, your fictional treatment of a department, you're going to know, like, okay, this is where this guy went wrong. This is where this officer's dirty. Mm -hmm. Or this is where this officer is misunderstood. I, I need to get you to listen to Lost Planet Homicide and <laughs> critique it. Like for real. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, because it's a fictional world and right. it's a colony planet. And so I, I was able to like have complete freedom with the culture that it came up with. Right. Well, and to create the own, the, as Griff was saying, create your own policies and procedures. Yeah, it also is one step above a third world nation. Right. Well, mm -hmm. no, it's <laughs> well, not. It's below. It's, it's bad. So, it's like fifth world. So when I got in, the general orders, the most recent general order, and it was 250 pages. The most recent general order was like 1993, and I got in in 2000. Um, but every one of those general orders has somebody's name attached, and there's a story behind that. Mm -hmm. Like, thou shalt not put your loaded uh, shotgun in the rack. Why is that? Because there was a squad car with a hole in the top of the, the squad car, and Robbie the Robot light bars hanging on either side when the slug went off and blew open the top of the thing and blew off the... And literally, I know the guy who, whose name is attached to that, right? So, and, and so when you're making it up, think of that kind of thing. Like, yeah. you know, what are these stories? And then what are the laws? And then how are the laws actually uh, in, you know, law and order? So when the judge gets a hold of it or the AI who's sitting in judgment on things, how do they make those judgments because uh, they're, you know, if it's an AI and it's there's no witnesses except for the video, how are they organizing their parameters for the court case? Correct. So in the rights and options of, of stuff, which is, you know, somebody who's written the, the book that you did, you know, if you can extrapolate to a Jovian Republic that has kind of a similar mindset, you can really yeah, play so, around with that. So what I want to keep from screwing stuff up to is I made a fairly lawless very, very almost like Mexico City level bribery of and corruption, yeah. and so that way, like I There's violate only one law there. <laughs> so that's why basically I violate the crap out of the laws all the right. time because, it, it, honestly, as a writer, it gave me quite a bit of you know I was immune from like screwing stuff up because right. yeah. people can't really be like it doesn't work. There was like well, a I made it up, and b it's broken anyway. Well, but <laughs> and and the beauty of that is is okay. So now there's a new sheriff in town. Yeah, and when you decide you want to do it. You can't. Yeah, and so basically, I wrote one of those guys who's the cluster. Right. He's the go. He's the guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's that guy. Yeah. But I think you'll like them. They're super good. Cool. Yeah. Super I, I, like I look forward good. to it. Yeah. Just, just, I'd be curious just to get your feedback. But yeah, dude, Griff, that that that's some awesome stuff. I, we need to we need to have this again. We need to do like a. I know we don't have time now because we got like this con and there's so many people we need to talk to, but we need to have you on again to talk about this some more because there's so many aspects to this. Because it's such a big part of fiction. Yeah, oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, it's got but, its own genre. And it but just to, the kind of last thing that for me is, is that my partner uh, yeah, for six years, uh, great guy, uh, collegiate wrestler, uh, you know, top of his game at a uh, prestigious university, known for wrestling. Uh, he, one of the things I was whining to him one day about how you know these, the damn firemen get off light every time. It's just it, the heroes, you know, the heroes get off light. He's like, you know what, Griff. They don't make movies about them. <laughs> right? There's like one movie about firefighters. Yeah, yeah you're right. There's like a you know? thousand, there's thousands about it. Yeah, thousands of TV hours, aren't there? 
and and it's because people find it fascinating. Well, it's compelling. Yeah. It's it, it the, can make for compelling TV. Yeah, I mean, just the idea of, I mean, gosh, Casey and I were talking about this on her on her show the other day. The the idea, especially uh, when you when you kind of mix it with some of the noir tendencies, which yeah. I know you love too, Griff. Oh, yeah. Uh, the idea of this, you know, almost tarnished knight that goes about his business, he's willing to maybe take it a step further than other people so that other people can afford to be good. Right. And, yeah. and there's, there's something super compelling about that in your fiction. Well, it's the, the, the uh, you know, every officer is a sheepdog, mm-hmm. except for the wolves. And you don't want any wolves in there. Yeah. So you get rid of those as soon as you can, as soon as you identify them. But every officer wants to be a sheepdog. If they're true to their calling, they want to be a sheepdog. Interesting. All right. I think that's, I think that's the best way to end this episode. Uh, Griff, thank you so much for making time for us. No problem. Uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, the schedules are all wonky and stuff, but thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, no we love you, buddy. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, we'll see you on the next one. This is the Rider Dojo. Take it easy. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Hey, want to come see our shovel and tarp collection? <laughs>